Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello everyone, welcome to the Rotor Report podcast, I'm Gav. You may be wondering... Why is he hosting? Well, today we're trying something different. On the site, we run a feature called Fan Focus, where we uh, meet each and every week with a fan of the opposition that we're facing. This week, we take on Reading. And going forward, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be meeting up with a member of the opposition and get them on the podcast and talk a little bit about the game, how the season's gone, etc. Just an extra show for yourselves midweek before the game, obviously. Today I'm joined by Simeon from the Tilehurst End. They are an SB Nation Redden fan site like ourselves, uh, work under the Redden SB Nation banner. He'll be talking to me today just a little bit about how the game went yesterday against Barnsley, uh, what's going on around the club at the minute, you know, why, why things aren't perhaps going as well as I might have expected so far this season and obviously the game at the weekend. So, Simeon, how are you doing? I'm very well. How are you? I'm not bad. Like you say, I've, I've done this the first time I've hosted a podcast. It's a bit weird. I'm, uh, I, need, I need to get in my groove a bit. You know, I've had some teething issues even getting the audio started, but I'm feeling all right. I think once we get rolling, we'll be okay. So, what happened last night then? I was talking to you beforehand and you told me <laughs> not to bother watching it because it might be a bit boring, but obviously it wasn't. I mean, I, I saw the goals back. Great victory against Barnsley 3-0 and it lifts you up into the middle of the table. Obviously, it's not been a great season in terms of where you finished last time around, but I mean, you've got to be happy with that result last night. Yeah, very happy with the result. Um, I think the scoreline perhaps flattered us a little bit. Usually when you get a 3-0, a team dominates the game and gets a lot of chances and sticks them all away, but really it was just some very clinical finishing, I think. For the first two, the Barnsley goalies had a bit of a mare. Uh, first one fumbling it into his net, mm. uh, a header from a corner, and then another one I think he should have done a bit better with our uh, Joey Vandenberg hammering an effort in from about 30 yards but I think the keeper should have perhaps got over to his near post a bit better and then we get a lucky bounce at the end for Bod Varson to head it in for 3-0 for most of the game we uh, had a good amount of possession as we usually do but we weren't that decisive in getting the ball forward and creating a lot of chances and I think if we'd gone up against a better side than Barnsley no disrespect to them if we'd gone up against a better side and put in that kind of performance it could very well have been a nil-nil like we had against Sheffield Wednesday at the weekend Mm. or uh, perhaps even beaten as we were with a 2-0 home defeat against Wolves the performances have been very stop-start recently we've had some very good games about a month or so back 3-1 win against Forest went to Derby and beaten 4-2 very impressive results but since then we've struggled to get any consistency there's been some good signs some good individual performances but just stringing that together and properly making a team that knows what it's about and knows how to win games is proving to be a lot more complicated than it was last season I'm a big fanny I'm actually uh, I was one of the ones trying to go for him in the summer when David Moyes left because I just I like the idea that he he came from the Ajax system and in that 
coaches that tend to come through at Ajax obviously play a certain brand of football, which is quite attractive, really, if you get the right players. But did you do you sense that in his style of play? Do you sense the Ajax mentality in in Stam and obviously the way that his team plays? Yeah, he's definitely all about possession. And I think, to be honest, he probably judges as much about how well a team keeps the ball and how they move possession around as much as scoring a lot of goals and winning the game. Obviously, he wants to win, but he wants to win in a certain way. He wants his teams to have uh, 55-60% possession each week and know what it's about and properly control a game. But to be honest, that's often been to the detriment of good attacking play. It's not about getting the ball forward decisively and trying to carve up opportunities. A lot of it has been about the team just keeping the ball in our own third and passing the opposition to death, to be honest. And sometimes that's a good tactical ploy. Sometimes uh, we're able to draw the opposition out and, and control the game quite nicely. But... Other times it's just very dull and the fans have started to turn on that a little bit this season. Mm. We've kind of gone the other way. We've got, and I know obviously Coleman's only a couple of weeks in the job. Before Chris Coleman was manager, we, we were playing good attacking football and awful defensive football. So we're starting to see signs maybe well at the weekend when we beat Burton. We're seeing signs that this team can, if we can sort the defence out, kick on, I guess, because we've got a player in Lewis Graben who's putting them away for fun and I was going to come on this a bit later but you know Lewis Graben is a player who was that on loan at Redden last season and I think he played mostly on the right wing you may be able to correct us on that but I, th- I think he wasn't really playing as a centre forward a lot of the time and he uh, he didn't have the greatest relationship with the fans that he it's one of those where I think the manager looks at someone like Graben and sees that uh, he's capable of scoring a lot of goals and he'd had a relationship with Jan Kermigan already when both of them were starting week in week out for Bournemouth when they went up and that was a very effective strike partnership but I think the problem with Graben when he was here last season is that he wasn't being played as an out-and-out striker. If you go in, say, a 4-4-2 and you have a big man up top, someone physical who would do the hard work and then Graben playing off him. And Graben's a very effective player. He's got pace, he knows how to use it, and he's very good with that. But last season he was often playing either as a wide forward in a 4-3-3 or perhaps even in a, an attacking midfield role, which just didn't suit, um, didn't suit his talents yeah. at all. We've kind of seen that this season as well, though, because he's he's very much a, a goal scorer, but he doesn't like to head the ball. He, he doesn't even jump for headers, to be honest. If you play him off the shoulder and you get him in behind, he does score goals. He's a great finisher. Uh, so w- what we saw, obviously, at the weekend against Burton Albion was that when we brought James Vaughan on to play alongside him, who is a bit of a battering ram, it made Graben more effective. And he, yeah, I can kind of see where you're coming from. That I've actually compared him to Darren Bent in a lot of ways because we used to have Darren Bent at Sunderland and he was a similar player. He didn't really do a lot off the ball. I mean, he tried to link it up and he, he, he put the ball away definitely, but in terms of passing ability and his head ability, not all there. But you can kind of, you can kind of get away with that if you're putting the ball away. So you would say that maybe someone alongside Graben is how you get the best out of him then? Yeah, absolutely. You need that, that physical guy who will drop deep and uh, win headers and link the play up just to free up Graben so that he can play off the last man and show his pace and then get on the end of chances as well, rather than having him having to come back and... Uh, do the hard work himself. Maybe on the subject of players, actually, I was looking through the Redden squad, just I, I always do before a game, just to see if there's anybody who used to play for Sunderland, because we've churned out that many players over the years that we've, you know, we've got people everywhere at the minute. And I looked, obviously, Paul McShane's your captain at the minute. You won't find a Sunderland fan with a good word to say about Paul McShane. He was pretty awful for us. Uh, <laughs> had some notable performances where we at Everton, where he was at fault for at least seven goals. The one time that he slid and tackled a Juventus player when the ball was out of play as we were about to take a corner. He's just a bit of a hothead, really. But I think over the years he's developed as a pretty solid championship defender who's done all right with teams like Hull. How's he been for Redden? And you know, is he, 
is he is he somebody the fans actually appreciate? You know, in, in the role as a captain, he's a very calm player. Actually, um, he shows his experience a lot. I think he's the other side of mm-hmm. thirty now, so he's one of the more experienced heads at the back. Very calm, composed guy to have in the in the defence. He's also a big asset for our passing system as well. If you look at the players who are making the most passes in our team and have the highest uh, pass completion rate, it tends to be Paul McShane because he's very good at just playing short, simple passes to keep the game going. And yeah, he's been really important for Yapstam. And often when he hasn't been in the side, we've lacked that experience. We've lacked that uh, that know-how at the back. So yeah, he's been a big asset for us. And obviously you've got Vito Manoni as well, who obviously Sunderland fans are very fond of. I mean, you know, towards the end of his time at Sunderland, it, it wasn't great. He was out of the team, didn't really perform when he was in the team. But, you know, if you boil it down at his time at Sun, and there are a lot of good memories. You know, I cried like a baby when he saved the penalty that sent us to the League Cup final <laughs> at Man United in 2014. His uh, input during our run towards survival that season in the league was immense. But after that, he, I think he dropped off considerably. And, he, you know, there was some howlers. There was one performance I can think of at Southampton where we conceded eight goals. And he would probably admit it was his worst ever day in football. But Minoni, generally, I think he's got a good affinity with the Sunderland fans. And I was reading, and we were talking as well beforehand, I was reading about these. Um, his, his, his mum isn't very well at the minute. And uh, he was given the choice to play or not. And he's, he wants to play because it's Sunderland, you know. Shows what a big character he is. And I guess when you're down in the championship, you need people like that. Yeah, absolutely. You need that, that imposing goalie you can rely on week in, week out. We had that last season with Ali Habsi, very experienced guy, obviously with Wigan a couple of years ago in the Premier League. And he was a really good shot stopper for us for about two seasons when he was here and got player of the season each time. Couldn't keep him in the summer. Knowingly went over to Saudi Arabia to be closer to his family. But then being able to get someone in like Vito Manone, who's a experienced goalie in his own right, was a big coup for us. And I was surprised to see us only pay about £2 million for him, to be honest, because he's got a good CV. He's been in the Premier League quite a lot. So I would have thought we'd pay a bit more for him, but I'm glad that I'm glad that we were able to get him in. He's had some very good performances for us. He's not, I wouldn't say he's outstanding week in, week out. He still needs to develop, particularly in passing the ball out from the back, because that's a really important part of our game plan. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, that that's probably the one thing that really let him down. Vito's kicking is very, very poor, but he's a he's a fantastic shot stopper. Um, you'll, you'll not find many better in the division. It's just, I would say, particularly when you've got a player like we had with Pickford, who was highlighting just how good you can be with the ball as a goalkeeper, it really did let him down, but I mean, he, he's he's at that age now. He's not going to get any better than he is now, Vito Minoni, but he's, he's certainly a solid goalkeeper for that level. And in hindsight, I, I look back at the time which we got from the £2 million that we got, and I, I feel like we were maybe a little bit cheated because, you know, you look what we've replaced Vito Minoni with. We've replaced him with Jason Steele for half a million quid who couldn't catch a cold and actually improved in the last couple of weeks. But, you know, had some real shockers since he came in. And Sunderland fans are kind of looking back at that now and thinking, you know, did we undersell ourselves with Manoni? Why did we really get rid? You know, there was there were reasons he wanted to be back near London for a start. He'd been up in the northeast for a while, really, and he'd went a bit stale. But he's not going to let you down that often, particularly in the Championship. You know, there's one thing I've noticed since we dropped into the Championship is that there's so many teams there now who have poor goalkeepers. We were told about Bentley, the uh, I think he plays for Brentford. I, I, we were speaking on the site with, with a Brentford fan who told us just how great this goalkeeper was, and then he throws them in, you know. And I, I just wonder whether you underestimate just how good these keepers who've stuck around the Premier League for a long time actually are because they're dropping the Championship and they look like world beaters, really. I think it's also quite hard to judge keepers nowadays because what will happen is someone will impress for quite a while and then they'll make one high profile error and then everyone suddenly thinks oh they're error prone as if uh, that's not true for all goalies and particularly in the second tier you've got a lot of goalies who they're good they're talented but often they don't necessarily have a good defence in front of them either so they're conceding a lot of shots 
yeah, so the standard isn't quite as high as it is in the Premier League, to be honest. Yeah, I can subscribe to that really. Like I was talking about Sunnan's defence, ours has been pretty awful this season. We've got one of the worst defensive records in the league. And when you look around the players that we've got in there, we've got the likes of Brian Oviedo, who's a Costa Rican international, who, to be honest, I think has been one of our best players this season. But then you look at like John O'Shea, the experience he's got. You know, he's been around the block. Island captain for a very long time, international player. He won trophies with Manchester United and then... You look at the likes of Mark Mark Wilson, somebody who's been in the Premier League the majority of his career. Adam Matthews, who's a who's a Wales international. These players shouldn't be conceding as many goals as they have, but that's the way it's been. And maybe that makes the keeper well look a lot worse. Really, they know the pressure upon them is even greater when the defence in front of them is terrible. So I can definitely subscribe to that. I think it was interesting to hear you talk about Paul McShane so well, actually, because it sounds like he's developed far better than anyone could have imagined since he left Sunderland. Maybe it was because he was young and he was a bit erratic, but McShane never really struck me as the type of player who would go on to among them much. And then you look at you know how he's played quite a lot of the Premier League as well. And in his mid-30s now, and Redden have probably not got the best version of him, but he's certainly an experienced player who can fire up the league, essentially. If you've got a good defence, it, it gives you the best footing, I guess. And last season... Redden charged towards the, the playoffs. I wouldn't, I know, stepping back a bit here, but just to look back at, the, at that playoff run, how influential was McShane in that run? I think looking at his experience and his composure, he was very important, and particularly when him and Liam Moore, who I think is probably our best centre half, when they were both playing together regularly, we looked a lot better. I think if we missed one of those, we were, we were in for a thrashing a few times. I think we conceded seven at Norwich, five at uh, Fulham as well. So lacking that defensive head was uh, really important. But then when we managed to keep them for long stretches of the season, we were able to grind out wins. And a lot of the wins we had last season weren't 2-0, 3-0, 4-0. They were often just winning uh, by one goal, just managing to scrape games. So having that presence in Paul McShane, who was also able to pop up the odd goal here and there, was really big for us. Yeah, I can imagine. Another another member of that defence is... Chris Gunter, obviously, who seems to have been around forever, but he's actually, I think he's still actually in his 20s. But he's a player who really thrived under our manager, Chris Coleman, at Wales. And I think he's nearing on the most capped player now for Wales, isn't he? I think he's maybe level with somebody. Just what do you make of Coleman and the impact he's had on Gunter's career while he's been at, at Redden in particular? Obviously, that run towards the, the semi final of the European Championships. Gunter was a huge part of that, as were you know many players. It was a very much a team effort. But how much of an impact do you feel Chris Coleman maybe had on on Gunter's form and, and you know his development as a player? Uh, it's an odd one, really, because at a club level, he's been he, he's okay most weeks. He's solid, knows his job. Is that kind of six out of ten good player each week? But then for some reason, for Wales, he ups his game and he's a lot better. I think typically he was playing as a wing back in a back five for Wales um, under Chris Coleman whereas typically he was in a back four for us. I find it a bit odd that he's significantly better at international level. Not that he's bad uh, at club level, but he definitely ups his game under Coleman. So I wonder if it's um, some kind of man management under that manager that um, really gets the best out of him. Yeah, that's, I guess, what majority of Sunderland supporters are looking forward to really under Coleman. It's seeing maybe if he can foster this tribe mentality where you can get all of the players operating under the same sort of ethos and, you know, maybe us against the world type of mentality to try and drag us out of the mess because when you look at the job he did with Wales, he took over from Gary Speed and obviously he died tragically and that, that was the biggest shoes ever to 
try and fill and he and he did that eventually but it took time you know that they were underwhelming at first but I mean you've only got to see the kind of respect that the likes of Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey and so on have got for Chris Coleman as a man as a manager so I, I guess that's the thing that Sunderland supporters in the main are, are most looking forward to was seeing whether we can adopt some of the things that Wales and, and even to a lesser extent Fulham when he first took over there could, you know the, the type of methods which he employed at those clubs whether he can impart them on us we obviously saw the weekend a win against a, a very poor side Burton awful at home but it was such a weight lifted off our shoulders and you know, desperate for the three points I guess uh, so going into this weekend it does feel like a an entirely different prospect as a game, you know, just how poisonous it has been at the stadium alike this season, not just from the fans, but from the players, the results on the pitch. It's not been a great atmosphere. We've kind of suffered as a result. Famously, Ian Holloway remarked that he knew exactly what to do when QPR turned up at the stadium alike because the dissension in the crowd kind of does half the job for you. But now that Coleman's arrived and we've got a win under our belts, this is an entirely different prospect. I mean, I've got a lot of friends who are Sun supporters, obviously, and everybody seems to be looking forward to the game again. That's the first time in God knows how long, maybe since David Moyes was winning those two or three games at the end of last year. First time in a long time we've actually thought, oh, I'm quite looking forward to this game. But even before then, when Sam Aldice was here, it's probably been a long time for the majority of fans since they actually enjoyed that football. And now Redden are coming at probably the worst time really for them because Coleman's got that new manager bounce. We've got a win under our belt, so... It should be interesting to see how the Redden players react, essentially, because, like I say, the majority of away sides this year have, have came and played to the crowd to try and get the win, whereas I don't think that'll be the case this weekend. So how do you think you'll approach the game? Do you think they'll try and play football, or do you think it'll be, they'll still try and adopt some of the things that the other clubs have done this season at the stadium, like, which has really gotten points? I, I don't know, really. Yapstam's tactics seem to change week in, week out. Tuesday was a weird example for us, because I think it was the first time he actually named a, an unchanged side this season. Um, or at least in quite a while. So trying to predict what he's going to do up at the Stadium of Light, I'm, I, I can't really do it, to be honest. But I guess I'd say he'll try and be quite positive to try and get the win. I don't know if that's going to play into our hands or not, to be honest. We have a bit of a bad record for, for undoing other teams' bad records. I think Aston Villa hadn't won in about a year at one point last season, and then we were the first team that they won away at in ages. So I think we've got a bit of form for that. So for yourselves, having not won at home in quite a while, I've got a bad feeling that we're going to finally break that curse for you. <laughs> it, it's, you could be talking about <laughs> Sunderland. We do we do much of that for other teams. I always remember QPR in the Premier League hadn't won away from home all season, and then they come to us and they absolutely tortured us turned us over scored some brilliant goals you know we've got form for that too but I guess the one thing we don't have form for is winning games at home and you know despite the positivity that seems to be surrounding the place at the minute it seems to be growing it is still a monkey on our backs isn't it it's a it's a case of we still haven't won at home since last year it's the longest that any team in English football we broke that record last time out so I guess in that sense there's less pressure on Redden really to turn up and play attacking football I think with Sunderland it's very much a case of you, you pick your moments against us and you'll be all right. Uh, we're very susceptible from set pieces because we don't have a lot of height in the team. On the break, we always seem to get tortured because we have a slow defence. We have a midfield which struggles to cover space. So I, th- I think depending on how Redden want to approach the game, they could quite easily come and get three points from us. The, the one thing I would say is that we've tended to perform better this season against teams who try and play. We went away to Norwich who tried to pass the ball around for fun, but they did very little with it. We sat very deep and scored three goals. That, that's the only other win we've had this season other than when we beat Burton. So I do tend to fancy us against teams that try and play football because we are a better team when we're trying to break 
than we are trying to play on the front foot. It, it will be interesting from that perspective just to see what you do because I think trying to play Sunderland off the park possession-wise hasn't really got any team anywhere this season despite the fact we've played so poorly. But, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to see how we'll approach it actually because I've no idea whether Coleman's going to start changing the way we play. We've certainly tried to keep the ball down a lot more since he came. But I felt the other night we played a lot better football than we did at any point under Grayson. People are expecting him to go to a three-man defence with, with wing-backs eventually. I don't think he's quite got the personnel at the minute. He'd probably pick another unchanged team because what's the point in changing a winning team when you haven't won all season? You know, I think Stan will probably turn up knowing exactly what to expect from us. But we have some players there who are actually out of form at the minute. Players like Aidan McGeady who aren't really performing at the minute. Callum McManaman who you'd expect a lot more from at this level hasn't really delivered yet. But I guess with a little bit more uh, positivity around the stadium, it might free those players up to be a bit more creative and express themselves. And uh, I think it should still make for a good game. I don't think Sunday are as bad as the league position suggests. I think when two fairly average sides get together, it can often make for a good game because it's always fairly open. So, you know, I'm hoping that, that maybe there'll be a few goals in the game. But what do you think? And do you, do you fear the prospect of facing us? I, I guess is, is my next question. I don't necessarily mean awesome in the team to be afraid of, but do you fear that prospect of, you know, facing a side with a new manager who have had that pressure lifted, having won a game for the first time in ages? Do you feel that Sunderland are a team to fear, I guess? Yeah, it's the new manager bounce that I'm worried about. Yeah, you might you might not have the personnel to say... Uh... Uh, mix it up tactically and go to a back five or something like that but just having a, a new manager who comes in with new ideas and positivity that's a massive boost for the players it's a massive boost for the crowd as well so um, that will energise the team and at whatever level you're playing that will always make a team hard to beat and that will always give you a good chance to go out there and get the win so I'm worried about how we're going to try and play against that how we're going to try and counter it because I can see Coleman trying to get Sunderland to go out there and get the first goal and be positive and trying to win the game mm, yeah I'm expecting us to actually try and move the ball around a little more than we usually do I know I was saying before we've played better against teams who try and play around us but I, I, I think when you've got somebody like grabbing there up front who's scoring a lot of goals at the minute even though we haven't played particularly well this season you know he's, he's still got quite a lot of goals when we've got a player like that who's putting them away and you know he's facing a, a team where he was there last season didn't particularly enjoy himself it, it's an interesting prospect I always look at that and think you know do the ex-players put a little bit more effort in against their old teams particularly when it didn't go well for them there one thing you probably be pleased to hear is that midweek when James Vaughan came on and helped contribute to the win even though he's another player who hasn't played particularly well but you'd probably be pleased to hear he's suspended so we don't have a lot of options in attack so getting someone up alongside grabbing might be difficult and that I've got a feeling that if you can isolate him, if you can get McShane to get tight to grab him and, and stop him from getting him behind, you've got a real chance because he's our main threat, I suppose. It's a small pitch at the stadium light as well, which doesn't tend to suit a possession team. You know, Simon Grayson reduced the size of the pitch right down a week after we played Celtic in pre-season and got hammered because he felt that playing a more direct style in a small pitch would suit us. It hasn't because we haven't won a game all season, but I'm, I'm supposing the pitch is still tiny. So it, it does make you wonder, you know, whether whether Redden will come and maybe switch it up a little bit because this is a whole different animal to when the, you face Barnsley. I guess Barnsley are a they're a, they're a fairly average team but you know there's not a lot riding on that game between you two I think both teams will finish in the middle somewhere whereas this one's got a little bit more needle about you know two former Premier League teams two teams that maybe have something to prove this season who in all honesty should be up there competing and still could there's still plenty of football to be played but the expectations for the game for me is really that we need a win we are desperate for a win at home but in particular I mean we've got that we've got that hoodoo out of the way of beating Burton Albion obviously and, and getting that first win since Norwich game in August but we still haven't won at home for such a long time that there's, there's just a little bit something else about this game I'm really looking forward to it so what's your actual prediction for the game do you think you're going to come away with a win or what would you be happy with would you be happy with a draw do you think just coming away and playing particularly well 
well, maybe getting a safe point would be a good result for him, particularly where you are in the league, really being in the middle. Yeah, I think the safe point is the uh, is the best thing to go for. And interestingly, just having a quick look at the table, I see that you're actually uh, very good at drawing games. I think there's only one side, Brentford, in the division that has drawn more games than you. Yeah, um, just recently, just recently, like we weren't <laughs> for a long yeah. time, but it was just lost, lost, <laughs> lost. But in some of the games we've drawn as well, though, like the Bolton game, we should have won. We had the win there. You know, we, we went ahead for the first time ever at the Stadium of Light in over a year. And then three minutes later, concede, you know. That, that's the type of team we've got. They're very fragile mentally, but I'm kind of hoping that Coleman's fixed that. To be honest, if I wasn't a Sunderland fan who's desperate for a win, I'd probably be for a draw here. I think if anyone's putting a bet on this weekend, I would go for a draw like. Yep, same. I'll go for that as well. Probably a, a 1-1, I think. Yeah, I'm... I'm... In truth, I'm, like I said, I'm desperate. I'm so desperate for us to just get that win, get that first home win. And I think you can't underestimate just how positive Coleman is and how much of a, an aura the man's got around him. But I suppose you can say the same about Yapstam. You know, there's a man who well, he was one of the top defenders of his day, really. You know, won Champions Leagues, played for some of the biggest clubs in Europe. So it's a real clash of two personalities there at the weekend. And I just hope it's a good game, really. I, I guess that's one thing Sunderland fans haven't been trying to. A lot of people have forgot what it's like to enjoy football. And, and just seeing a, a nice, positive performance and a good game of football would be, you know, a nice second place prize if we don't actually win maybe a draw and a nice performance would be good are you heading up for the game are you, are you will you be eye following it like the majority of Sunderland fans who aren't in the North East not unfortunately I'm working on Saturday so uh, so I can't annoyingly but I'd love to go but not this time unfortunately I've been to Redden once I think it was a it was a long trip <laughs> long trip <laughs> I think I was only young actually but I'm sure is this stadium in the middle of an industrial estate I can't actually remember I can just remember being parked up outside of a, maybe like a British home stores or something and wondering why it was right next to a stadium it's a, it's a bit of a strange team for a fan outside of the area I guess Redden like, I, I can think of certain traits of, of certain teams in the league and then I think of Redden I'm not really sure what Redden's about really and I guess is that something that the fans face generally like because you're, you're obviously not quite in London but you're outside of it and for people like myself anyways people don't really understand what Redden are about is that something you feel when you talk to other fans and meet other fans of other clubs and yeah I don't think there's any proper clear identity for Reading to be honest if you go back a couple of decades we were always in the in the third tier or the fourth tier occasionally getting up to the second tier and we almost got into the Premier League in 95 but since then it was kind of uh, we weren't really doing too much but then we had a sudden revitalisation at about uh, about 2000 and onwards and managed to get up into the Premier League but despite that I can't really look at the team and see there's many clear defining aspects we used to play at Elm Park until, until the late 90s but then moving away from there a proper old fashioned Rowley stayed in the middle of town we had to go out to somewhere else and as you say we built a new stadium by an industrial estate and I think there's actually a a waste pit underneath the stadium weirdly <laughs> so if you ever go there and you see see these pipes coming out of the ground it's actually taking methane gas or something out of the uh, out of the ground because there's, <laughs> there's waste underneath we're built on the, the former site of a colliery mine so you know it was a bit more glamorous than us yeah maybe a little <laughs> bit more we've got we've got a pit wheel and a, and a lamp outside the ground just to signify that, that I guess that's the, that's the identity of the sun and people is when we're talking about identities is that you know having a stadium built on, a, on an old mine that's what the North East was about for a very long time industry and working class people working down the pits and then going to the football on a weekend that was a source of enjoyment and I guess that that mentality of togetherness and and um, spirit of the working class people is what Sunderland's all about and you know through our recent troubles it definitely feels like the club's kind of lost that lost that identity somewhere along the way and you know particularly with the current ownership of the club you know the, the owner's fairly distant from from Sunderland and doesn't have anything really to do with the day-to-day run of the club he's, he's appointed a man in Martin Bain who was most famous for being a part of the Rangers setup, which struggled to deal with financial hardship, I guess is the best way to put it. So, you know, along the way, there's been a lot of, you know, loss of, of faith in the people who run the club. And until Coleman was appointed, really, we've managed to to turn that 
I guess, around a little bit and people are starting to feel positive about the football again. But it's a long process, I think. Although the owner said that he's not willing to sell Sunderland, I think it's probably for the best that at some point in the near future he does because we've definitely hit a crossroads with Ellis Short as chairman and that's why we're in the championship and down the bottom really is because after years and years of, of real a chance of progression I guess with Premier League money behind us we, we managed to fail we managed to spend a lot of money on poor players we managed to poorly invest in other ventures and it, it kind of it, it's kind of led us to where we are now where we're, we're struggling we haven't got any money to spend we've got a big wage bill a lot of players who don't really want to be here but you know with Coleman at the helm I think you can sort of bring yourself back down to earth I guess someone uh, our host on, on the regular pod J- James Copley mentioned at the weekend in our show you know you can't underestimate the similarity between the South Welsh people People and and the people in the northeast because we come from a similar background. They're the, you know the pits and the and the the industry and stuff of the South Welsh. That spirit carries through the people, and I guess the hope is that Chris Coleman can get it, get it at Sunderland, and really get what we're about and nail this position. Because I think he's got to be given immense credit for for taking the job on. It's you know he could have left Wales and went to a much safer job than this in the Premier League, maybe, but he didn't. He took a gamble and he, he believes in himself to do well at Sunderland. And if he if he can really get this right, and I mean when I say get it right, I mean captivate the fans again, get people to stop paying the money to come back to games. Because I know you might think twenty eight thousand is a lot of people, but to Sunderland it isn't we're used to having close at 46 47,000 people in the stadium so if he's able to get people to come back and and you know reinvest their their own emotions I guess in the club then we could be something special and that's something that brings us back to Stam I guess is you know do you feel he buys into what Redden are about and is he here for the long haul do you think or do you think that once a good job comes along he might be away because I look at the uninspiring appointments that some of the Premier League teams have made this season and I just wonder why maybe he hasn't been linked with the likes of West Brom you know it was linked at the end of last season with I think West Ham Southampton as well because how well we did last season I think in terms of how well he fits in with the club the whole club's kind of lost its way uh, in terms of identity over the last couple of years we used to have uh, John Medeski as our owner and we had people like Coppel and McDermott who were very much Reading men they knew the club before they came in and there was very much a kind of kind of a David and Goliath mindset almost we were never trying to be a big club we were never trying to play fancy football or anything we're always kind of the, the plucky small team trying to trying to go up against the better sides but then in the last couple of years the ownership's changed a lot of the backroom staff have changed uh, long term servants have, have gone off like Nicky Hammond was there for about 10 years and he went to, to join West Brom for example Yap Stam is very much a, I think he's the start of a new era in a sense and we've got big spending Chinese billionaires back in the club. We've got a couple of uh, people behind the scenes from the continent and Yapstam as well, obviously. So I think he's he's very different to what we have had in the last couple of years. Whether that proves to be a good thing in the long term or not, I'm not really sure. So uh, it'll be interesting. And then his, his success this season as well, I think, will determine whether he's here for a while or not. I know he wants to build something. He wants to develop his passing football and obviously have a stay at a club and really develop his CV. But in the long run, I'm, I'm under no illusions. He wants to go into the Premier League or something similar if he can. And he's shown that he, he can be a very good manager. It just needs to discover a bit of um, consistency and then ultimately I think he will get that bigger job yeah see I, I view I view Redden as a Premier League club in many aspects I think I think that everything is there for, for Redden to be a very successful team at that level you know when you when you look at somebody like Watford for instance or Bournemouth clubs that operate just outside of that London bubble but the money and the, the allure of being able to offer players that lifestyle you know suits clubs like Redden very well you know and that's where we struggle maybe I guess as you, you, that's what you're in competition with so I, th- I think if if Sam can get it right if he can rest Redden to the level where you know they're actually challenging up the top of the championship again and like I say there's a long way to go in this league this season there's there's no reason why you know 
Redden couldn't be up there competing in the playoffs even. I just think that the next time Redden do get that chance, and it may have passed, I don't know. It may have passed last year when you got in the playoffs and didn't go up. But next time Redden do get into the Premier League, they could be there for the long haul purely because of where they are in the world, I guess. How do you find that sort of thing? How 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 hard was it to take not getting promotion last season and having to settle and restart again this year? Because I guess the hardest thing to do when you're so close, when you're that close to, to being a Premier League club is to refocus and start again it was a weird one really because um throughout the season we never really felt like one of the best sides in the division and that that seems like an odd thing to say when you when you finish third and then get to the playoff final but we were never particularly defensively solid uh, we didn't score a lot of goals at the other end either it was just that we were very effective at winning games and we managed to get to third and that was very much the case in the semi-finals when we basically shut up shop at Fulham got a very good 1-1 draw and then edged them out in the next game with a 1-0 win at Medeski so I'm, I was obviously very disappointed to not see us go up but I wasn't I wasn't too surprised and I think we would have struggled a lot in the Premier League the really really frustrating thing this season is that we haven't been able to keep the core of the side uh, from last season Ali Al-Habsi went to Saudi Arabia as I mentioned earlier Danny Williams went to Huddersfield very very frustratingly to to lose to a team on penalties and then they take one of the <laughs> best players on a free yeah. And Jan Kermigant has been injured as well. I think he hasn't quite had 90 minutes in any game yet and he was our top scorer last season. So just to come from that and then just being a kind of a nothing season at the moment is very frustrating. Yeah, yeah. I guess we've, we're sort of suffering the same issue in, in the sense that we've had to rebuild but at a lower level and I guess with, with a really small budget. We've seen some big names leave the club over the summer. The likes of Fabio Barini, Wabi Kasri, for instance, both left. Jermaine Defoe. Pickford, you know, big big players for the team, and it's frustrating to see them leave. In the same sense it was for you, I guess, because when you see your best players go to clubs sideways moves, I feel like you know, although we've we've dropped a division, Jermaine Defoe sitting on Bournemouth's bench doesn't benefit him whatsoever. And um, when he was such a hero at Sun, and you you, you you do look back and think, if we could have just stayed up last season, we could have really built on that another canny team. But we do, we didn't. We went down pretty unspectacularly, and and we are where we are, I guess. But it's about where you go after that. Teams dropped into the Championship all the time and flounder, and I feel that's maybe what's going to happen with Sun for a couple of years now will not really amount to a great deal until we get ourselves on a better financial footing I guess but then you see a team like Newcastle last season come come down and spend a lot of money you know money they recuperate from player sales in the in the main but spend a lot of money and just scrape through the league it shows you how hard the championship is it's an unforgiving league pretty much every week you're playing a team of similar ability there's not a great deal between the teams at the top and the teams at the bottom other than they maybe have a consistent defence or a good goalkeeper. There's not, there's, other than that, there's not a great deal in the way of quality between the sides. How do you deal with that as a club who's been down there for a few years now? How do you, how do you go about actually building upon good foundations in this league when so many teams are on such an even foot? I think a lot of sides over the last couple of years have shown that if you want to go up and maybe even stay up in the Premier League, you need that long-term plan. Brighton have shown it and they were competing at the top of the top of the championship for a few years before they finally managed to break through and that was because of a, a good long-term plan. Leeds have been more competitive because they're um, a lot more stable off the pitch as well. And Reading are trying to do that as well in terms of developing youth and bringing in players from Europe with some really good scouting networks. So that's something that I'm really positive about for the future. And hopefully that should give us the edge over a few other sides. Although I think everyone's doing it now, to be honest. If you look at Nottingham Forest, who were a right mess for a couple of years and almost went down last season. But now they're a lot more stable off the pitch. And as a club, they're really starting to develop and bring some young players through. So for me, that's, that's how you how you get ahead in the championship possibly something that Sunderland need to be looking at if you can keep Chris Coleman for quite a while and really develop and start to build up the positivity around the club 
and as you said earlier, rediscovering your identity and having Coleman really sort of like buy into that, uh, what the fans are like, I think you'll be in a much brighter uh, position over the next couple of years. Yeah, that kind of that leads me on to my last question, I guess, which was going to be, uh, do you think we'll stay up and be honest? Because I'm kind of, I'm stuck. I don't know what's going to happen, really. It's, it, it, we're in the early days with this manager, but for a long time I thought we were doomed but you know now I feel a little bit better about it and I just wonder how, how fans outside of Sunderland feel about it as well so yeah do you, do you think that we might stay up? Personally I don't think you'll have any trouble you've uh, you're in I think about two points off a team just outside the relegation places so you get a, a win or two and then you start to you start to climb out of the trouble and you've got some good players in there you've got people like Grab and McGeady's a very good player when he can be he was very good last season for Preston so just need Coleman to start getting the most out of him same with McManaman and if you can get someone supporting Grabin in the final third and him into the game a bit more I think he should be fine Coleman should give you that boost to be honest I can't see finishing too high up the table but anything kind of lower mid um, I think he's perfectly reachable for you and I wouldn't be too worried about relegation there's other teams like Birmingham who are in a mess as well uh, Hull and Millwall who are in a bit of trouble and Burton and Bolton further down so there are other teams that I think have more to worry about than you to be honest yeah I, you're probably right you know I'm just it's just the natural pessimism that sets in as a Sunderland fan you can't help but fear the worst I guess so particularly having suffered a relegation battle in each of our last god five six seasons it, it would be nice to get to March and not have to look over our shoulders I guess I think Coleman, I think, will probably keep us up. I'm just maybe being a little bit negative there. But no, thanks for joining us anyway, Simeon. I've, I've enjoyed the chat and I hope it's a good game at the weekend. I, I mean, like I said earlier, I think it might be a draw, but I, I just hope it's a good game. I hope a win, is the, <laughs> as obviously, I hope a win. I'll just, you don't. Uh, no, well, there we go. There we go. <laughs> uh, yeah, cheers for joining us. Thanks for everybody for tuning in, I guess, is is, is my last point. Uh, this is our first edition of Fan Focus. We'll, we'll be mixing up a little bit of the horse will change week to week and it won't always be me. You'll be glad to hear, but... Uh, we're going to bring this back as a more as a more regular feature, maybe on a weekly basis. Try and drop them on a Thursday morning for you, just before the game, so you've got a couple of days to to get it in before we actually play. Uh, so yeah, I've been your host Gav. This is the Roker Report podcast. We're, we're available on iTunes, obviously. Acast. We're available on YouTube, and we're also available on RokerReport.com each and every day with some fabulous articles from our very talented writers. So yeah, this is Gav signing off, and we'll catch you next week. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.